Hey, podcast listeners, the Crown Refs Mentor Program and community just recently celebrated our two-year anniversary, and Patreon's been busy making their platform even better, and we're thrilled to share with you these updates. Patreon now has a collections tab, which features quick and easy access to our entire catalog, which includes over 25 of our exclusive shows and series, like Signal School, Rapid Responses, Guest Speakers, Crown Classics, Game Notes, Verbal Judo, The Wonderful Women of Officiating, The Sunday Swish, The CR Vlog, and Rule Resources, just to name a few. Not sure which tier is right for you? Our updated Crown Refs page has got you covered with a clear breakdown of each tier's offerings. And there's more. Patreon is now offering free seven-day trials to give you a delicious taste test of what's cooking inside of our Ref Kitchen. You can check out the reimagined Patreon app complete with community chats. Plus, we're introducing a new shop tab where you can grab individual episodes, exclusive instructional how-to videos, PDFs, pregame cards, whether you're a Patreon member or not. If our content has brought you any value in the past, we are kindly asking that you please consider joining the Crown Refs Mentor Program and Community for Officials. As soon as you sign up, I will personally send you a welcome email so then you can get access to our 36 Discord community channels. You can go to patreon.com backslash crown refs or click the link in this episode to come explore the future of Crown Refs on Patreon. I can't wait to work with you and introduce you to our incredible community. You're amazing. This episode of the Crown Refs podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. At that time, I'd work 10 rec ball games on a Saturday, and I'd get $100. And I was like, I was so grateful just to have that little bit of spending money. I never knew it would turn into this. I try to wake up every day with a positive thought, and I try to end every day with a positive thought. Even if I've had a bad game, uh, I'm very appreciative that things have come my way. And I don't have an ego, but I don't have an attitude. I don't think, well, I deserve this or, or this should be given to me. I'd like to welcome back to the Crown Refs podcast for a third time. This gentleman is one of the NCAA men's finest officials for the last two decades, having worked four Final Fours, including this past 2023 season. Even better than his officiating talent is his high character as a human being, having built a wonderful community of supporters over the last 20 years plus with the Referee Choice Camp that he has grown Roger continues to positively impact so many people on his journey through officiating. We're happy to call him a friend and a mentor of ours. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Roanoke's favorite Roger, Mr. Roger Ayers. How are you, sir? I'm great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Big fan of what you do for officiating Crown Ref. So uh, excited to be on the uh, on this call tonight. Thanks for having me. So we connected initially on episode 100, which was an absolute Crown Refs classic. Actually, it's the second most listened to episode after Al Batista, episode 66. So he's got you beat there. 
we had the chance to sit down again in 2021 at your camp as I was in the middle of building out the community and the Crown Rush Mentor Program. And now two years later, we get to bring you back and have some of the community in attendance. So it's kind of a full circle moment. So I just wanted to once again, thank you for all of your unwavering support these last few years. This episode of the Crown Refs podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. So let's start with your referee choice camp. I've had the privilege to go once as a camper and then next week I'll be back for my second year as a clinician. So obviously I love being a part of it. We have uh, 11 Crown Refs officials attending. Um, so super excited about that. I want to get a few future officials to attend because there's a great chance someone is listening to this podcast in March of 2024 looking for a great camp. So just tell us what your camp is all about, what the mission and the vision of the Referee Choice Camp is. Um, well, this will be the 20th year that I've had this camp. I used to have it along with Mike Eads. And uh, when he became supervisor in the SEC, I kind of took it over on my own and um, kind of put my own stamp on my own signature. And what I wanted to do where there were so many camps out there, hiring camps, where you know officials go and it's just a tryout. You know, you go, you get a number put on the back of your shirt, and they say go ref ten games, and we will, uh, you know, we'll let you know if we like what we see and if we're going to hire you. What I want to do was get the grassroots type officials who who need that training. Who like some just want to do high school basketball, Paul. That's obviously important, but to kind of help them grow in that area. And some come to camp saying I'm interested in maybe doing some small college. Uh, okay, then we will help you with that. If some have aspirations to go to Division One or, or to the NBA, those are all great aspirations to have. You know, I, I had some of those when I first began. There's a lot of ACC coaches wish I'd have chosen another profession and not refereed all, at all. But I wish there had been camps like this 20 years ago. The camps I went to, there was very little teaching. They might show video for 15 or 20 minutes and the staff would just get up and tell war stories. Well, I, would, I spent all this money and it was like, well, nobody taught me how to rotate. Nobody talked to me. The strength, Like one of your strengths at our camp is, is your signal academy. Like nobody told me about signals. They just said, you need to have good mechanics and good signals. And, and they moved on. So what we tried to do is take several topics and over the course of two and a half, three days is to give you the information you need to succeed at all levels. People talk, when I talk about mechanics, whether I'm working a, a Final Four game or I'm working a game in the Big South, my signals are always the same. They don't change. Uh, the crispness of them, the, the, the strength in them, my voice never changes. Those are some of the things we talk about. The other things we talk about is one of the biggest problems new officials have is, is dealing with coaches. Like, what to say, you know, you think you know what to say, and, and then you you get hired into a league or, or a high school association, and this coach has been around 30 years, and, and you have him for the first time, and he starts barking, and you don't know what to say. What we do is we give you the tool. We give you the playbook. We give you the answers. I, I've been in this. This will be year 25 for me in the ACC, which means 25 years I've made a lot of mistakes. So uh, I've taken those mistakes and, and journalized a lot of them. That's why it's called, my camp is called The Journey. It's like from year 26 to now, the, the, the things I did right that worked, the things I did wrong, 
you know, we give them all that information, Paul, as you know, as you, you being on my staff now, and I'm very picky about my staff. Um, I get any, from NBA refs to power five refs to final four refs, including one yesterday calling, said they wanted to come help me. I'm like, I, I love my staff. I like, we're all a family there. As, as you've heard me say, Paul, from the first minute, no one at my camp is going to cuss a camper out. Nobody's going to yell at a camper. Nobody's going to embarrass a camper. It's all about teaching you. This camp is about, this year we have 75. Those 75 individuals coming to camp. And I tell them this, when you leave on Saturday at 2 o'clock, if you don't think you got your money's worth, no questions asked. I'll give you your money back. I don't do this for money. I, I want to give back to officiating because officiating has been very good to me. Uh, I love what I do. I think I have a great job. But it, it's open to uh, – I even, I even had some D1 refs call this year and say, Roger, I'd like to come to your camp. And I say, this is not the camp for you. If you're already on a Division One roster – you know, I would encourage you to spend your money and go to a tryout camp. You know, go to one of these other leagues and try to get hired. If you come to our camp, yeah, Brian Kersey will be there and, you know, and some other supervisors are going to be there. But they're there mainly just to talk to you about what they look for in officials and the steps that they would take to get to the Division One level. And a lot of campers, like the one thing I do, I think that, and Paul, once again, you know this, it separates my camp is all 75 refs next week will get one-on-one -on -one with me, at least 10, 15 minutes. Last year, we had, I think, 74 total. I met with all 74 refs during the course of that camp and said, how can I help you? What do you want to do? You, and some of them reached out and said, Roger, thank you so much. I got my first state playoff game. Or I, I worked, uh, I got my first girls uh, division three game. You know, those are things, I, those are success stories that, that I love hearing about because it, it, we're making a difference. Uh, so that's uh, that's my goal for three days is, is to give these 75 individuals who come in that they're better rest when they leave on Saturday. I just told them to take my game. That's one of the uh, focuses about your camp that I love is the community feel, that family first, you know, environment that you've created that stems from the top down. And that was something that as I was building out Crown Refs, I leaned into you for inspiration. So it was very helpful there. Um, thanks for sharing that about your camp. I always like to, to speak with our community members about how their season's going, about which plays and situations from their season stood out. So I just wanted to get a little bit of a recap about your season. If you could just take us through, maybe pinpoint um, a couple highlights of your season, and then maybe you could talk about one or one play or situation that stood out. Yeah, um, great question. Uh, every year, people ask me, when, when does your season start? Well, my season starts the day after my last game. I, I don't take a month off. I don't take three months off. I don't take six months off. Um, but not this past season, but the year before, uh, J.D. Collins was a supervisor of National Coordinator Officials, and he had selected me to go to the Final Four, you know, three times. So I, I felt like I had a good relationship with him. And then uh, when I got to uh, New Orleans for the Final Four, he pulled me aside and he said, Roger, uh, you're going to be the crew chief in the Duke Carolina game, which I've had so many times, but it was possibly Coach K's last game. So the committee and J.D. Collins felt strongly in me to handle that game. And, and as we all know now, uh, North, North Carolina beat Duke. Um, so I'm not real popular in Durham anymore, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, but the fact that they, I felt really good about my relationship with J.D. Collins. So when this ended, in 22, I said, okay, 
you know, I'm, I'm in a good spot with J.D. Collins that, that went in the committee. And, you know, this offseason, I'm going to, you know, work out even harder, you know, work on my nutrition, work on my yoga, work on my stretching. I'm going to be ready to go for J.D. Collins. And next year, hopefully, you know, I'll go back to the Final Four, maybe even work Monday night on National Championship. So that was my sole focus. Well, a month after the season ends, we get an email. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for the hard work this year. J.D. Collins today announced his retirement. Well, every official who works Division I basketball, their, their goal is, your goal should be the Final Four. You know, you're thinking, if I work hard during the regular season, I'll be rewarded to get to the, to the tournament. Well, there was this long interview process with three or four different guys. And, and fortunately, I think they picked the right one. Chris Westsider is a uh, not only a, a great official when he was on the floor and I got to work with him, but he is a great person. Uh, so when he got the job, it's almost like starting over though. So I went into this season going, okay, you know, I have a whole new boss now and uh, he's going to be watching games and deciding, you know, that's a very powerful position. He gets to pick the nine individuals that go to the final four. And, and you've heard me say this too, Paul, my camp, I treat every game like it's a final four game. I don't go into this game thinking uh, this, I can take a night off. I don't take nights off, whether it's a, a JV girls game or a JV boys game or a middle school. I don't care. When I was, when I was coming up, every game to me was the most important game I'd ever worked. So going into this season, I was like, okay, uh, I got to, I got to, uh, I, I got to show Chris Rastatter now, not one of my peers, but I got to show Chris Rastatter and, and this new men's basketball committee that Roger Ayers, you know, he, he is one of the top reps and, and, and we want him, uh, to come to Houston. So every night out this year, I maybe I amped it up a little bit more. Um, did I make some mistakes? Obviously, uh, haven't worked a perfect game yet. If I ever work a perfect game, Paul, you'll be talking to me from the Bahamas or somewhere. I'll be living in a, uh, a night drinking out of a cup with a straw in it and relaxing. And I'll be coming here telling you guys how to work a perfect game. Uh, it's impossible. Made some mistakes. Um, had some uh, you know, some plays on his back, some plays that kept me up at night. I had a play in the Ohio State-Minnesota game uh, that, that really stands out to me late in the game. It's a, a tie score and you know, like 2.4 seconds to go, I'm, I call across the lane on a clean block. And I call a foul and, you know, Minnesota gets a free throw. They win the game. So, you know, th that stuck with me for a while. But it's kind of like I tell refs, everyone on this call, Paul, even you've probably missed some plays. But you have to tell yourself to relate like you're a relief pitcher in the major leagues. You come in tonight, the bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, you're up three, and you throw a fastball down the middle, and they hit a grand slam. You guys lose the game um, because of one pitch. Well, obviously, the starting pitcher, everyone's upset at you for that little bit. But tomorrow, bottom of the ninth, you're, you're, you're the star saver, relief pitcher. You got to go back in there and forget about it. You got to put that out of your mind. Get back on that horse and ride it. So that's what you have to do when you miss a play. And you're going to miss plays. And you're human and, and things happen. And, and, and you look back and say, why did I miss this? You know, why did I crawl across the lane? Why didn't I trust my slot? Why, why? And those things, the next night I went out, they were, they were in my head. Like, don't do that. Trust. Uh, so, you know, um, it was a, uh, a long season, obviously. Uh, but I, I love what I do. Um, and and I, I go back and watch plays that I miss more than I watch plays that I got right. The one thing that I will say when you watch video, I, I tell at my camp, I talk about when you watch video before you go to bed at night, finish your video breakdown of a play you got right. 
You don't want to turn your tape off on a tough, tough black charge that you screwed up and you missed because it's hard to sleep. And, and, and you know, you're like, wow, I missed that call. And all night long, you're tossing and turning going, I missed. I try to end with a play I got right, a tough play that I got right. Um, so, um, but yeah, it was, it was a great season and uh, it, we're excited. I got to go back to the final four, which is always an exciting time. And I got to work Miami UConn this year with uh, two great partners, Doug Sermons and Jeff Anderson. So um, uh, I think the game went well. And uh, after the game, nobody was talking about us on social media or, or on ESPN. So um, yeah, I think it was a overall a relatively good season, but what I'm getting to, Paul, and the people on this call, what I did last year and what you did last year means absolutely nothing. Now, now you're going into a new, whole new season coming up, and you, I got to be better than I was last year because now when people look at you. If you work the state championship in your area, coaches, players, they look at you a little bit different. Say, man, this guy or this girl worked the state championship? I, I don't get it. What you want them to say is now I see why he or she worked that state championship. They're really good. And like this year, if there's coaches coming in going, well, this is hot shot here. He worked the final four. Let's see what the ones that don't know me yet. Let's see, wow, now I see it. You know, get his plays right. Great communicator. Can talk to players. Can talk to coaches. Can manage a game. Make things go right. Um, so th that's what you want. But every year, I, I don't go in thinking I'm a final four rep. I go in thinking I'm blessed to get to do this job. And these two teams tonight deserve me to be the very best rep I can possibly be. You mentioned every game being a big game. What's your uh, mindset behind always staying motivated? I mean, I know you draw from a lot of inspiration um, the times, you know, that I've been with you. So how do you yeah. do it on a consistent basis, just staying motivated? It's a great question. Um, it started when I was young. When I was first starting to referee, I would work with guys, and I'm sure there are people on this call who work with people and go, well, I'm not rotating tonight. I'm not going to switch tonight. Uh, nobody cares about this game. The boss isn't here. Uh, who cares? These two teams are in last place. And it resonated with me because I thought, you know, for those two teams playing that night and their coaches, their fan base, you know, uh, the school administration, they don't care where you were last night. They don't care where you're going tomorrow. They care about their game. It's Friday night in your hometown. It's a it's a big game for them. And maybe down the street is the one where there's 2,500 people and, and, and your game is a hundred. But what I always, and I tell myself this now is somebody's watching me officiate for the first time. And you never know when the person that is watching you may have some pull, may have some juice or, you know, may say, Hey, look, I know Paul with crown reps. Maybe you need to get hooked up with him. He can open some doors for you. I know Roger Ayers. Maybe you should be trying to move up. You never know who's watching. So I want every game when I work, I want people to go. Because I've had people tell me, Roger, I watched you last night, and, and you ran just as hard, if not harder, last night than you did the night before at Duke Carolina. I go, yeah, that's right, I did. I, I, I want that that energy. Uh, it, it's something It's inside me because I'm like, I'm paid to do a job. At the end of the day, we're all blessed to get to do this. If, if you and I quit reffing tonight, Paul, guess what's going to happen in November? They're still going to play. So I, I look at it as, you know, Roger Ayers is blessed to get to do this. There are two great teams playing. I don't care what the records are. It means something to somebody. And, and I want people to look out there and go, you know what? Now I see why uh, he gets the games he gets. So 
for everyone on this call, if you treat every game like it's your state high school championship game or it's it's your first college assignment and your goal is to move up, go to the Final Four, your goal is to be an NBA rep, say, you know what, I'm going to show somebody in the stands tonight why I'm going to make it. Because there, there's a lot of naysayers out there. Your people on this call and myself, when I came up, a lot of people said, don't go to camps. You're wasting your money. Nobody from Virginia ever makes it. Uh, it's a good old boy network. There's a lot of politics. You know what? First camp I went to, I paid $50. I didn't know one person. In Lynchburg, Virginia, I sat in the back room knew nobody. You know, and, and people in Roanoke were laughing at me saying, why would you go down there? You're just, you're just a JV ref. You're nobody. Well, those same people now call me and ask for tickets. Or, Roger, will you come speak to my group? Or, I'm like, well, you people told me I would never make it. So use that as fuel. That There's people out there that don't want you to make it. You know, there's a saying that goes, don't, don't you know, chase your dreams because your dream is not going to chase you back. Whatever level you're at on this call, if your dream is, is to get a, a state playoff game this year or just get your first varsity game, you do everything possible starting tomorrow morning. You're doing a lot tonight by being on this call and being part of Crown Refs. Uh, but tomorrow morning you wake up, you look in that mirror and say, okay, what's holding me back? The season is four months away. Time, the clock's ticking. I got to go. I, I, I got to do this. Like today I was at the gym for two hours and a guy's asked me, Roger, why are you here every day? I looked behind me and I said, because I hear footsteps. I hear young reps like people from Crown Refs or – other refs that are coming up, they want games. And, and the officiating community now needs good refs. I get that, but I don't want to take in my spot. I, I want to be able to work with your guys, uh, Paul. And, you know, the, the energy I have, I, I hope it uh, exudes out to others. And say, so, you know what, this year in January, when it's a cold, snowy night in one of your games that they're on this call, I, I hope you say, you know what, I got to suck it up like Roger said. To these two teams, I know one's – one in 17, the other is two in 15, but uh, I'm going to show them why I'm, I'm here and I belong on this game. Because if you work hard in those games, the other games will come, you know, because everybody gets up for, for the so-called big game. Uh, but if you can get your mindset into tonight's game, because at the end of the day, it does mean something to somebody. So, you know, I, I love that when somebody goes, well, Roger, your game's not on ESPN tonight. I go, doesn't matter to me. They're, they're going to, I'm going to give them an ESPN show. Um, so uh, chase your dreams out there and work every game like it's a state championship or, or your the college associations you're in or, or if you're trying to get in the NBA, chase it. Go for it. Don't let anyone tell you no because in your journey in officiating, you're going to hear so much negative. You can't do this. You can't do that. You missed that call. You're out of shape. You don't look the part. That, that league over there, it's all politics or – if that guy doesn't like you, you're not going to make it. Or if you're not his boy, you're not going to make it. Or if she doesn't like you, you're not going to make it. I'll let go. Just let, I, I would nod my head and go, thank you. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. If I had listened to the people back here in Runt, Virginia, I wouldn't be on this call tonight, Paul. Uh, I was told a thousand times, don't do it. Don't. And I was like, but it was my dream. It's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to, to referee any ACC. I live in Virginia, you know, and I grew up watching ACC basketball. I was like, I, I would love to get to do that. The first ACC tournament game I ever saw was at the Greensboro Coliseum. I was in section 317, top deck of the Greensboro Coliseum. And now even this year when the ACC tournament was there, I always go out and I look up in that section and go, you know, 28 years ago that I was sitting up there 
with everybody telling me you're just a high school ref. And I was proud. I said, you're right. I am a high school ref. I'm going to be one of the best. And, and then 28 years later, I'm down center court, throwing it up in the ACC championship game. So you can do it. The drive is there for all of you. The fact that you're part of Crown Ref tells me you have the passion, the energy, the drive to do this. Well, don't let anyone stop you. Get, get, get the bug and say, you know what? Maybe I'm tired. I don't really want to go to the gym or maybe I want to go to a big Mac. No, no. You, you, you control. Look in that mirror and say, the only person who can hold me back is me. And the only one that can help me be successful is me. So what am I going to do today to be successful? And, and that's my drive, Paul. And when I go on that court every night, I look across and go, all right, these two teams, they're about to see something. And, and, and I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. But by being out there and, and, and in the game and working as hard as I possibly can, I think people see that. I've had, when I tell a coach, coach, I miss the play. I've yet in 25 years had a coach ever come back at me and screaming and yelling and cussing. He's like, Roger, that's what I like about you. Uh, at least you communicate. So hope you can feel my passion. I, I would go ref tonight. You mentioned uh, that was beautiful, by the way. You know, you mentioned gratitude. And uh, I think when we were talking about motivation, I think gratitude fuels a lot of that motivation. How often do you lean into gratitude on a daily basis? And what does that sound like in your head? Uh, daily. Uh, because when, when I wake up, I, I, I think back to when I got into this refereeing thing and I was making $12 a game. And you know, at that time, I'd work you know, 10 rec ball games on a Saturday and I'd, I'd get $100. And I was like, I was so grateful just to have that little bit of spending money. I never knew it would turn into this because of the negativity and officiating. And uh, especially now with the AAU and, and the rec ball and all the stuff you see about attacking officials, it's, it's hard. I get why people don't want to get involved in it, but I try to wake up every day with a positive thought and I try to end every day with a positive thought. Even if I've had a bad game, uh, I'm very appreciative that things have come my way and I don't have an ego. I don't have an attitude. I don't think, well, I deserve this or, or this should be given to me. Um, when my boss calls me and says, Roger, I need you to go to school X. I don't go, go there because you got to drive two hours after you get I'm like thank you very much I appreciate it um the other word I would take out of your vocabulary if you're on crown refs the word no uh especially when you're new there is no word no in your vocabulary if, if your assigner asked you to go two hours from your house and you don't say well is it a girls game is it a boys game you don't ask who am I with your answer should be yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. I'm on my way. Who do I need to call? Uh, I'll, I'll meet them there. What do I need to do? Um, so take the word no out and, and just enjoy the ride. You know, as far as gratitude goes, I, I, I try to, I'm a very positive person. Uh, I try, and, and like I say, even with peers I work with now, some are negative and like, uh, why am I on this game when so and so is on that game? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, we are blessed to be here. Uh, it reminds me of a story, Paul. Think about the first time any league anyone on this call ever got in. What did you tell the assigner? I can tell you what most people on this call said. I will go anywhere for you. I will do anything for you. I just want to work for you. I, I want to be your guy or your girl. I I'll, girl, whatever you want, I'm it. The funny thing happens to people, though, Paul, that I've learned over the years is after they get in that league and they start getting a few games, what do they? What does some start doing? Well, I want to go work over here too now. 
And then they go tell that person, well, really all I've ever wanted to do is work for you and, and get your gains and be in your league. Well, they forget the league. Well, you just promised this other person that that's all you ever wanted and, and you forget that person. I've been in the ODAC, which is Division Three League here in Virginia. Long I've been in the league in America. I'm still in the ODAC Division Three, and people ask me, Roger, I, why do you still work ODAC basketball games? I try to work the tournament every year if I can. The past few years, I haven't due to scheduling, um, but I still work the ODAC because I don't want anybody to ever think Roger Ayers forgot where he came from. You know, when I first got hired, all I wanted to do, I was a JV Division Three ref, and all I wanted was to order the college jacket. I got me a black jacket, and I was a JV ref. I had two games that year, a JV game, but I just wanted the black college jacket. That's all I wanted. And then, then I got, but Greg Bennett's a supervisor, officials for the ODAC. And last year, I, I sent him the $50 check for registration. He called me and said, Roger, why, why, do you, why are you sending me this check? I said, well, you sent the email out that we needed to do the physical form and the application and send you 50 bucks. But my whole point is this, be grateful for what you have now. And, and it's okay to want more. I get that. But never forget where you come from. And whoever you're working for now, that person believes in you, is giving you a chance, is giving you games. I would be extremely loyal to that person, uh, maybe even to a fall. You know, if they give you a game and, and you get a higher paying game from someone else, a higher league, maybe a division two league over division three, before you ever say yes to the D2 guy, you should have it closed out to begin with. But if you don't and you make a mistake, you call the division three supervisor up and say, hey, Paul, I just got this call and it's a division two game or a division one game and it pays a lot more money and it could be my big break, but you owe it to that person um, that you've already accepted a game from. Never look down on any assigner because every game is important as we talked about earlier. Um, so be grateful for what you have, but don't get the ego like you've arrived and now you, you can kind of dump on people. And I hate that when I hear refs go, yeah, I turned that game back because I got this a bigger game here, and, and I just told the supervisor I'm working that game. No, that's not how it works. Even to this day, if I have a game in another league, and, and Brian Kersey calls and says I need you to go to Duke tomorrow night, uh, somebody's got hurt. I'll go. Well, no, I'll be happy to go, but it's closed out. You need to call Supervisor X and get me out of that game. You know, I, I don't. I never turn a game back once I accept it. Um, so. It's just loyal would be enough. Take the word no out of your vocabulary and put loyalty in as much as you possibly can. In the long run, it'll pay huge dividends for you because you never know the supervisor you work for right now, Paul, may be one day a power five supervisor. And you want that relationship to be, you know what, when I hired Paul or Roger Ayers, it's a D3 level. They did everything right. The paperwork was in on time. They were at the games early. They were great partners. As I move up into this job, same with dealing with coaches. People tell me, Roger, I, I no crap off assistant coaches. I, I tell them to shut up and sit down. And as you've heard me say at camp, the ones on this call have been there. What does an assistant coach really want to be one day? A head coach. Well, if you've dealt with him and, or him or her and – with profanity and yelling and always shut up, sit down. You're just an assistant. I don't talk to assistants and then they become head coach. You're in for a long night. So I know I'm rambling about this stuff, but I get the passion. I get, get rolling, Paul, but there's just so much you can do uh, to prevent problems. Um, so next question. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That was very important. 
you know, it's, it's officials are always looking for, for this new skills to add, but it's the soft skills that are outside of officiating. That could be the biggest breakthroughs for you. Um, on a lighter note, as you were talking about going to the gym today, my mind started to wander and I started to wonder what exactly you were doing at the gym, which cardio equipment you might be using. And then I was thinking about if you had a piece of cardio equipment in your name, what would it be called? And it was very easy. It's called the hair master. Yeah. Oh, that is, I I need to get an IL deal with that. I like that. Not bad, right? Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, my, my big thing is um, the reason I go every day, I, I do a lot of stretching. I'm 58, so I have to do a lot more stretching than some of the people on this call probably do. Uh, I do a lot of ab work. Uh, I do a lot of push-ups. Uh, today I did the elliptical, uh, and then I walked two miles in my neighborhood. Uh, tomorrow I'll be back. Uh, there's, there's a spin class that I like to take, so I'll do that for an hour and do some stretching. And then, then the next day I'll do some yoga, more stretching. Um, what I've learned as I've gotten older is I only have one body and one set of knees. I got to take care of them. Uh, it's a long season. And as I said earlier, Paul, I don't take any nights off. So the running part, I need my legs to be strong. I need my, my back to be strong, my core to be strong. And a lot of it is not only uh, the exercise part, but it's the nutrition part. You know, my fiance tells me all the time, abs are made in the kitchen. You know, everyone on this call can go to the gym for five hours tomorrow, but if you leave the gym and, and go get McDonald's and, and get a Big Mac and a large fry and a chocolate shake, and then you leave there and stop at Krispy Kreme and just say, oh, well, but I, I worked out today, it's not going to work out for you. And, you know, there are no gimmicks. There are no hydroxy cut. None of that, you know, there's not – you have to take care of your body. You only have one. And the one thing I like about that, Paul, is there's one person that controls what I eat. And there's one person controls whether I go to the gym and there's one person controls how long I stay there. There's one person controls whether, you know, I stop and have a milkshake or do I grab a bottle of water instead? That That's you. You know, how bad do you want it? And as I said earlier, there's always competition and officiating it just like there are for players, the players who take care of their body and take care of themselves and, and eat right and, and take care of their body. Well, their body will perform for them. So, um, if you're getting tired during the season and, you know, and, and you're not, because if you're tired mentally, it also affects you mentally as well as physically. Uh, now it's time to start doing something with your body. Um, and every day I wake up, I go, okay, today I want to do this. You know, and, and today I'm going to have this, like t- tonight for dinner, I had some salmon and broccoli. You know, I would love to have, you know, large pizza and, you know, some Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. But I tell myself, when I retire, I will. But right now, it's your body is – you make money based off your body. If your body can't keep up, uh, if your body's letting you down, they're going to put someone else out there. And then people will tell me, well, Roger, I watched this game with such and such ref on it, and he loafs up the floor and he can barely move. Well, those officials have been there. They have 25 years on you. You have no credibility right now when you're just starting out. So it's like you walk in a room and you see someone you go – she looks the part. He looks the part. Like at camp, I'll go, well, he or she, they, they look the part already. So you're already ahead of the game. So um, it becomes not a uh, – it becomes more of a lifestyle. People say, what's your diet? I don't have a diet. People say, what's your your workout regime? I, 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 you know, I had a trainer several years ago that got me on, on the steps, but 
I took everything they told me and doubled it. You know, if they said, maybe do elliptical for a half hour, I'll go an hour. Or they said, maybe do yoga, you know, once every few weeks, I'll go, or I'll go three times a week. You know, whatever it was, because I wanted, if you tell me something, I want to do it even better or even longer. You know, so um, it's like reading a rule book or watching tape. They're going, you know, maybe just, I start in August reading the rules. Uh, they're like, well, just spend 30 minutes a night reading the rules. Well, I'll go an hour, hour and a half every night. You know, I'll get through the rule book, casebook, and, and mechanics manual, usually three or four times before opening night. And they go, well, you've been around. You're a crew chief. Why do you do that? Because I don't want something to happen in a game that I'm in, and I, and I have no excuse if I don't know a rule. And I don't know every single rule. You know, if, it's probably one of the most boring things I could talk about on this call because everyone on this call uh, probably hates the rules, hates reading the rule book. But when the game starts, you, you are the authority figure. You're the one expected to know the rules. And so you have to. And, and a lot of my peers, some know them really well. Some don't sometimes. I had a game a few years ago. It's a funny story. Um, it was whether it was going to be a flagrant one or flagrant two, whether we're going to throw the player out or not. So I go to my one partner and he goes, this true story. He goes, Roger, um, I said, what do you think? He goes, man, this is my first semifinal game. I'm nervous. Whatever you want to do is fine. I, I'm with you. So I bring the third guy over and I say, all right, what are your thoughts? He said, I got what you got. <laughs> Nobody helped me. I had to make my own decisions and, and, and enforce the rule and, and put the right shoot on the line and, and do all this stuff. So if you're a rules person, once again, your credibility goes up as well. So all these boring things, working out and nutrition and reading the rule book, it's all part of your toolbox, things you got to put into it. You can get every call. You can have people on your call that get 100% of their plays right tomorrow night in their game. Don't miss a play and never make it. You go, well, how is that possible? They got every single play right. Well, I'm sure people on your call, Paul, you've seen it. I've seen it. You work with someone and like they got that play right and the coach is going crazy or they got that block charge right. The coach is going crazy. It's believability. You, you can get your plays right and still not make it an officiate. And that sounds crazy because play calling is really important, but there's more that goes into your toolbox than just play calling. It's obviously really important, but if you can't talk to, uh, you can't talk to players, it's huge. You know, you can't talk to coaches. It's huge. You know, think those things happen. So next question. Yeah, right on cue. So NCA released some new rules for this upcoming season. Why don't we take a minute to talk about some of these new rule changes? How's that sound? Sure, absolutely. All right. So the NCA, this is according to NCA.org, NCA Plain Rules Oversight Panel. On Thursday, approved the men's basketball rule changes for the 23-24 season to the legal guardian position on a block charge scenarios involving defenders around the basket. Under the new rule, a defender will have to be in position to draw a charge at the time an offensive player plants a foot to go airborne to attempt a field goal. If the defender arrives after the offensive player plants a foot to launch toward the basket, officials will be instructed to call a block when contact occurs between the two players. Secondary defender will still have to be outside the RA to legally draw a charge. Um, previously, defenders had to be in position. That's a very generic term. Be in a legal guarding position to draw a charge before the offensive player went airborne. So this is a big rule change to the block charge play. 
You know, this is something we're going to have to really train our brain and, and build some some new muscle. So uh, what are your thoughts on this rule change and how are you going to go about uh, applying it? Yeah. Obviously, we have some uh, some clinics coming up in the fall and obviously they're going to be sending out some um, training takes for us to look at. Basically, what it comes down to is they want more blocks called. They want more scoring. They want more plays at the rim where the defender is, is sliding over at the last second. And, and we've all kind of been taught he takes the knee in the torso and gets run over offensive foul. He's outside to the area calling offensive foul. What they're saying now is, which you just said, we have to be much better. The plant foot. If the offensive player has planted that foot and he's starting his motion, the defender can't go, can't get in position to, to draw a, a charge any longer. Um, so I'm hopeful that coaches will, will start telling their, their defensive players, look, it's going to be really hard to get a charge call this year unless you're just basically standing there for a half hour and a guy runs down the court and runs over you. You know, if, if that foot's planted, which it puts a lot of onus on the official now, now you've got to not only find the defender, is he in the restricted area or is he outside the restricted area? Was he in legal guarding position before the plant foot was planted? Which was the plant foot? You know, did he plant, then go up? Did he plant, stop, then go up? You know, uh, it, it's it's going to be a, a tough call, but I, I think the early October, the exhibition games, I think that'll be a, a good time for us to, to start focusing in on that plant foot and, and trying to put something else in your game. It's kind of like when the restricted area came in, it was hard because now there was a new line on the floor and we would see a run over and think offensive foul. Now you see a run over, you got to say, okay, you have to slow down and go, okay, I got to find the RA. I got to find was a defender. Was his heel on it or, or, or over the, uh, the line? Was he inside the, uh, the arc? Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be a tough play for a while, but I think what they're trying to do is we, we overall did a poor job on block charge plays, I think. And what they're saying now, you know, the, the announcers in the world be saying that's a terrible call. Well, if you run it back in slow motion, everyone on this call can probably get a block charge call, right? But in reality, full speed, your eyes go to the defender who's there, both feet on the floor facing your opponent, and there's a crash. He's outside the restricted area. What is your mind telling you? Offensive foul. Now what they're saying is two feet outside the restricted area, crash. If the offensive player had planted his foot when the defender got both feet facing the opponent, then it has to be a block. So you're probably going to have a lot of uh, – a lot of abuse this year early on from coaches going because it's a runover. And they're and you have to just say, coach, it's a new rule. The foot was planted when your defender established legal guarding position. So and we have to do a good job of that, you know, because on one end, if Paul, you and I are working together and you call it the right way and I go the other end and call an offensive foul, once again, what's that word all coaches use? Consistency. They're going, wait a minute. We're not being consistent here. What's the difference? My guy, plant foot, goes up. You call it a offensive foul. Well, in reality, his plant foot was planted, and then the defender slid in. So, just and these plays happen bang bang. And as I said, you watch them in slow motion. I watch games, tapes after games, and go, "Yep, I missed it. That's a block." But real speed, you look, and maybe you don't catch the whole play, and you see this guy just get trucked, run over. Your instinct is offensive foul. So. It's going to be a learning curve, but obviously the rules committee and, and I hope everyone on this call understands and the NCAA 
coaches uh, have a lot of say in the rules. This is what they want. This is what the NCAA wants. So to, to advance in the NCAA tournament and, and to get games, you have to get this play right now. So if, if you have to err on the side, if it's a block charge, if it's close, block. You know, if that plan, call block. Uh, that's the biggest rule change we've had in a long time. I think the, the others, the uh, the numbers now, they can be zero to ninety nine, stuff like that. That's that's not hard. Nobody's going to really be going crazy about that. But this block charge play, we have to do a better job on those type plays, Paul. Yeah, they're definitely making it harder for the def- defense, and there's going to be more blocks. You know, because yeah. we're taking away, we're taking away time. This just comes down to time. We're giving the defender less time to establish the legal guarding position and maintain it. Sure. Um, so probably more more shooting fouls on blocks. Now, if it's a non-shooting foul play and it's just that mid court, then that rule doesn't apply. We're we'll probably right. totally different play. Totally yeah, different, different play. play. I feel like I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say the play at the rim, like call it a block. The ball goes in. It's Obviously, the two points and, and one shot. If it doesn't go in, he's going to get two shots. What's that do? Scoring goes up, and that's what they want. Um, and, and we, like I said, we've done a poor job of rewarding calling offensive fouls when they should have been blocked. So now they're kind of saying, okay, now it's a rule. Now if that plant foot's planted and there's contact uh, and the defender was not illegal, you got to call it a block. So, but it's, that's I'm, I'm big on working scrimmages and exhibitions and that's a great time to work on those type of things. And when you can talk to players and coaches, go, Roger, why was that? Why was that a block? And he got run over. It's absolutely he did, coach. I know he's laying there and he's got a concussion, but you know, when the offensive guy planted to go up, your guy slid over and he did get both field and four. But once that foot's planted, he goes up, got no choice, it's a block. You know, for the officials on the call that work multiple levels, anytime there's a new rule change, like at the college level, it impacts the high school because you're going back and forth and there's that yin and yang of a new rule changing, you're building new muscle memory, but then when you go work a high school game, it's very difficult to keep that in in that moment, you know? So I'm just thinking about a block charge play for a high school game next year after I've trained my brain to call it on the plant, yeah. but I have to call it to the NFHS rule. So that'll be a little bit more challenging. Wherever you're at, whatever league you're in, whatever rules they use that night, which is hard when you're working multiple leagues. I get that, uh, multiple levels. Um, but just got to tell yourself, tonight I'm at a high school game, and, and tomorrow I'm at a D3 game. It's totally different. But that's what makes that's what makes you uh, one of the best. Um, one other rule that <laughs> – thanks. One other rule that stood out is – is um, if a player commits three flagrant one fouls in a game, the player will be disqualified. I feel like that rule should have always been the case. I remember there was times I would question like my friends, like you can really go in the game and commit an intentional flagrant foul like three or four times in a game and you're not out? You can do five. five. Everybody thought that it was actually on our test last year. One of the tests I had to take, it said, how many flagrant fouls before you're ejected? How many flagrant one fouls before you're ejected? Well, the answer is you, you could have five flagrant ones before you have to leave. You foul out. Which, no, no, but it hasn't happened often, but it's nice to have that in a toolbox. If a guy gets a, a flagrant one early and then a flagrant two, then as a crew, you need to say, okay, if he does something stupid, gets one more, he's ejected. So if a guy gets three, he should be going anyway. You know, he, the game is better off without him. 
Uh, I like the rule, but it should have been it, like you said, Paul. It should have been in years ago, and some people probably thought it already was. Yeah. Yeah, you were speaking about that play earlier in the year that uh, you wish you had back. Was that Minnesota, Ohio State? I will, we'll pull Minnesota it up. Minnesota, it up. All right, Minnesota's up two, 18.2 left in the second half. Yep. Take us through it, sir. Okay. Uh, okay, he misses his shot, obviously. Now, Ohio State's going to come down and tie this game up. Um, and right now, I'm, I'm thinking, okay. He's going to lay it in, I think, right here. Oh, he called a foul. Okay. He's going to make both of these shots. Now, look at the time on the clock. We have 8.6 to go in this game. And when he ties it up, freeze it right there, Paul. I'm going to be going to the new lead position. What I should be telling myself right now is, and I tell myself this all the time, it better be an obvious foul. It better be something everybody in the arena sees. Um, you can't guess, you know, stuff that, that I, I, I tell myself every single possession. But on this play, uh, for some reason, this is James Breeding over here in slot, you know, one of the best referees in the country, and Don Daly's uh, in, in putting the ball in play. Worst case, if, if I don't have a foul on this play, we're going to go overtime. But as you will see, you can go ahead and play it. The, the guy gets a clear. You can go ahead and play it, Paul. Okay. So my, my, he's hustling to get up here. And right about here, I'm thinking there is no way. If you see me positionally, I said there is no way he's going to let him have this shot. There's no way he's going to let him have it. Because you know what I'm thinking? He beats him right there. And in reality, I thought he hit him on the wrist. But my problem is don't reach across the lane. And as you can see, I clearly reach across the lane. And guessed because I thought in my mind there is no way right here. I'm thinking there, you know, when it's a tie game, you're like, no way they're going to give them a uh, a layup. They're going to make him earn it from the foul line. But right here, I thought he hit his wrist, and in reality, he doesn't. Yeah, you know, I missed the play, and I, I got to trust James Breeding on this play right here, and I don't. Play I have to live with right there. I can't, you just can't make this call. So if you're on this call here, don't call across the lane. You know, and I, I took a lot of crap. It's at Ohio State. I took a lot of abuse on this play because I guessed, I guessed right there he hit his hand or his wrist and he didn't. So um, great learning play. Obviously, I had to go out the next night and ref uh, and I missed the play, but you know, it's, uh, you know, we all make mistakes and I wasn't happy about it, but. You got to move on. And what I told myself the next night, don't guess on place. You know, if he doesn't, like if he goes baseline here, I'm thinking I'm home free because it, it will open up to me, obvious. But when he, he spins and the defender falls, I'm like, this, this defender is over here in front of me. I said, there's no way he's going to let him get a layup. So I just, by the time I hit the whistle, I actually tuned it twice and I knew then I was in trouble. Uh, but great learning play. Trust your slot on this play. Um, now, if he gets fouled, obviously Breeding is probably going to have a whistle on this play, uh, and he did not. Uh, it was all me. I missed the play. I made the mistake. So, got to uh, I got to move on. You know, got to get back on the horse and ride it. So, uh, one more point. You know, we talk about positioning, impacting play calling, and one of the our fundamentals is we try not to blow the whistle when we're still moving or rotating. So could you just take me through this rotation and like your decision to maybe 
not go over or stay? And if you think that had an impact in the decision? Well, due to the time, it was 8.6 here. Due to, I'm in lead. Due to the time in the play and where the ball was coming right now, I'm thinking if I need to get ball side, get ball. But it happens. So once this guy goes down, as you can see, I, I back up. So I, did, I didn't think I had enough time to get ball side. Uh, ideally, you, you want to be ball side there. But this play happens so fast. You know, in real time, I mean, we're in slow motion here. But in real time, as you can see, I start to, to come across and I get to about the C and I back out. So, you know, it's, it's as far as the learning goes right there, just trust. If I don't blow that foul right there, I don't think Minnesota has a right. They're like, they, they'll probably be complaining about it, but I think they'll be like, you know what? It's, it's not a foul. Uh, and we, and we go, and you know what? And we go five more minutes, we go overtime. So, um, but it's a mistake and, um, and we all make them and, um, I had to move on from it. And, uh, I really appreciate you bringing it up tonight. Paul, have another glass of wine. To, mm-hmm. thank, you. thank you for allowing us to, to learn from that. Uh, I love doing stuff like this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's how we all learn. It's how we all get better and, you know, and, 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 and survive this game we're in. It's, uh, it's impossible. I, I watch some of the NBA playoffs. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they ref those games. It's impossible. You know, the speed and the players. And, and then my first college game ever worked out when I'll never make it. You know, and I tell people when I was doing JV basketball, the first time I worked varsity, I went, wow, this is so fast. The players are so fast. And then I would go back and do JV game and it, it slowed down for me. And then when I started working Division Three basketball, I thought, wow, these players are so good. They're so fast. They're so strong. I'd go back to do a varsity basketball game on a Friday night back home. I was like, and the game had slowed down for me. And then you move into D2 and come back to D3. Well, the D2 players are obviously bigger, faster, stronger. And it just kind of trickled down. Then when you get to the Division One level, like they're really fast and really good and they'll make a lot of mistakes. And you go back and do a DT, D2 and D3 game and the game is really slowed down for you. That, that's when you're becoming an official is when the game starts slowing down for you and things aren't going 500 miles an hour, you know, on the court and in your mind, you know, when things start to slow down for you. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, this, this is good stuff. This is great stuff we're all talking about. Hopefully uh, people on here are learning some things. Absolutely, Mr. Ayers. We have uh, the community chiming in. Isaac Rugali, who went to your camp last year, he's getting ready to come down this year. He says, serve the game with loyalty and deep passion. Patrick loved my hair master's joke. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, and then we have Caden Olinger, who's I think on vacation right now, 15-year-old official from Pennsylvania. Who I just put him in touch with awesome. Joey Joey Crawford. So uh Kaden, oh, the best. Why don't you, yeah, the best. Caden, why don't you unmute and, and say hello to Roger? Hi, Mr. Ayers. How are you? I hey, you, a, can call, you can call me Roger, pal. All right. My dad usually gets mad at me if I do that, but I will. <laughs> um so you, I no, call, call Joey Crawford, Mr. Crawford. You can call me Roger. <laughs> I will, I will. <laughs> Um, I just had a quick question. Sure. So how do you deal with the pressure in like intense situations? And then do you have any like types of techniques that you use for that? Um, well, pressure comes with the job. The pressure, but a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves, uh, once the game starts, you know, sometimes it's the height. You, know, you get your assignment, you go, wow, that's going to be a, a huge game. It's a rivalry game. 
and the media is talking about it, a local newspaper in, in your hometown talking about this game coming up and this means everything and all this hype. And, and try not to buy into that because once the game starts, uh, I know in college it's 94 by 50. I think high school is 84 by 50. Once that game starts, you know, and there's 10 players, there's two baskets, there's three officials or two in, in, in the JV game or in some areas uh, two. Um, block all that out and then just call plays. Just call what the game presents to you. Uh, you, you can't go into a game thinking, I'm going to call this or I'm not going to call this or I'm not going to call a uh, hand check or I'm not going to call, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not going to put up with the crap from that coach. Go, go in with a clean slate. Uh, I, I don't go in expecting uh, chaos. A lot of times it's going to find you. Uh, but if you go in putting that extra added pressure on yourself, I try to be as calm as I possibly can before a game. That's one of the things I, I really focus on is trying to stay uh, stay calm, you know, because the players are, are excited. They're pumped up. Coaches are all wired. As we all know, coaches are, you know, coaches are crazy. You know, it's life and death to them. You have to be the calming effect uh, as, as an official and, and, especially being your 15, you have your whole world ahead of you. I did not start refing, put a whistle on. I was 29 years old. I mean, you're already 14 years ahead of me in experience already by the time you get to be 29. So uh, the sky's the limit for you. Uh, but don't put any added pressure on yourself. Go out there and uh, it's going to sound crazy. Make mistakes, especially in the summer, uh, in, in the early scrimmages. Not, you go, you know, stick your nose out there, blow the whistle. Uh, you can't hide. You're going to hear that as you move up and officiate. When you put a black and white shirt on and walk on the basketball court, you can't hide when you blow the whistle. Uh, plays are going to find you. Uh, so, you know what? I admire you for being so young and, and, and getting in this business. Um, don't want anybody to stop you. Uh, the sky's up for you. And uh, I wish I had started when I was, uh, I was 15, but uh, I didn't. Um, as I said earlier, a lot of ACC coaches wish I'd have never started wrestling in the beginning. Um, it, it's, it's a great gig, and, uh, you know, by the time you get to Division One level, they'll be paying six or $7,000 a game, so it's not a bad, nice work. Thank you. Sir, thank you. Good luck. Thank you, you too. Thanks, Kaden. Next question is from Dante Ormacchia. I think I said it right. He's a guest tonight. Welcome, Dante. Say hello to Roger. Hello, Roger. Hey, Dante. Thanks for being on. Yep. So I'm, I'm 16, like Michigan. I'm just wondering how to get, like, in more local leagues, how to get more involved. Um, like in the state of Michigan? Uh, yeah, like how do you, like, approach people in, like, a good way so like, you can get some games? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would tell you what I would do is – when this call is over, get with Paul. He'll give you my contact info. If you email me, I'll make some calls tomorrow with some guys I know that live in Michigan. Uh, and, and are you doing high school now or, or no? Um, I'm looking in Michigan has a thing called the Legacy Program, so I'm looking into that with the ref that I kind of work with the current place I'm at okay. um, right now. Okay. Uh, well, what I would tell you to do is I, I would be on the phone tomorrow you're emailing or on the phone or doing whatever I possibly could because it's almost July. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that next Saturday is July, but you need to be your, your biggest salesman. You know, you need to push in the yeah. fact that you're, they can't find, 
uh, anyway. So the fact that um, hopefully I can help you with some guys up there that work in the Big Ten, I'll make some phone calls for you and say, I got this guy, I've been on Crown Refs. This is how this works, networking, um, and say, I need I need help. You know, he lives in such and such city in Michigan, and he needs to get in with a local high school assigner. He needs to be working these AAU tournaments. He needs to be doing something now, and I need your help. Because what happens is I help you through those guys, but guys call me almost daily saying, Roger, I got a guy that's moving from California to Virginia Beach, or he's moving to Charlottesville, Virginia, and you help him. He's my guy. I'm like, sure, I'll make some calls. We'll get him in. So now what I do is when Paul Crown Repsery tells me he has somebody that he needs help with, like at my camp, I, I tell people, tell me where you live, where you work, who do you want to work for, and, and, and I'll make some calls for you or emails and get uh, and get some people to help you. But when this call is over, just uh, if you could get with send Paul an email or text or something, he'll give you my email address, and uh, I'll make a few calls tomorrow and, and send you some names and numbers of some guys you can reach out to and. Uh, and, and at 16 years old, man, they, they would love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Dante, just to follow up, are you on a local board? No, no, I'm not. Okay. Yet, you're not. Yeah. We'll fix it. So I, I would also just do a little Google work on your end and find out what the name of the local board in your area mm -hmm. is, and I would reach out to the five or six names that are listed on that website, like the president, interpreter, vice president. I would in introduce yourself, and there's a great chance that all of those people know multiple assigners from your area. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Sure. Mr. Yarber, Dion, thanks for joining us. What's your question for Roger? Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks, Roger, for, for being here with us this evening. Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things you said earlier in in your speech really resonated with me because I have this quote that I was given maybe about a year and a half ago um, from somebody I really respect. And it's, it goes, um, familiarity breeds contempt. And that goes right along with what you were saying about being loyal to your assigners and you know having that same, you know, vigor when you first get, you know, selected to a conference or you first, you're first given your, your whatever game. Um, so I try to carry that same attitude. So I really appreciate you for, you know, kind of leaning into that. Um, but I did want to ask you, um, I'm, I'm going into my third year uh, as a high school official. And I very quickly recognized my weaknesses and where I could be better. And one in particular is a dialogue with coaches. So, I spent a lot of time, and I appreciate Paul for this, is having those rapid reaction episodes and, you know, breaking down, you know, the 95% that usually goes on in your game and be, really being, you know, on top of your responses. But being who you are in, in the space, how have you built your credibility um, along your career? And could you talk about where you are now in reference to, you know, working at Duke and, Duke Carolina game and how your reactions are with those coaches being that, you know, they're hot, just as high profile at coaches as you are a high profile official in my eyes. Sure. Uh, well, thank you for Does that make sense, uh, my question. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the question. Um, the one thing that will help you succeed in officiating, and you said your third year, 
The one thing that will help you succeed in officiating or hold you back in officiating is dealing with coaches. As I kind of touched on earlier, um, you can get all your plays right, but if the coaches don't buy your act, I do a whole part of my camp, which Paul has heard it, uh, about dealing with coaches and, and how you deal with them. I learned early on uh, dealing with coaches, they're the show. Like if I asked you, Dion, who's the president of Duke University? You have no clue. But you know John Shire's the head coach. If I asked you, well, who's the president in Kentucky? I don't know. Who's the head men's basketball coach? John Calipari. My point is, those coaches at that elite level, they're God on their campus. They're they kind of control things. You know, they everything revolves around them until what you show up game time. Now you're in charge. They can't. They can yell at their player, they can cuss their player, they can yell at their assistants, they can cuss their assistants, they can yell at the scores, they can do whatever they want. Everybody's scared of them. When the game starts, you're now in charge and they can't do that to you. Uh, So what I learned early on is they're going to try, especially if you're new, they're going to bully you, they're going to come at you just to see how far you will let them go. They know you're the authority figure. They just want to know how much leeway you're going to let them get away with. And when I first got in the ACC, uh, just for example, I used the same tricks that I used in high school or small college. I would over-communicate with coaches. Now, I have some people say, well, I don't talk to coaches. I don't. Well, for me personally, what's helped me be successful is dealing with coaches and talking to them. I don't ignore coaches. And some of the things I say to a coach, it'll be a live ball and, and, you know, and he'll be yelling something. I don't know what he's yelling, but he's yelling something. And I may just say, if I'm in slot, I hear you, coach. You make a good point, coach, or on free throws. Could be right, coach. Tough play, coach. Or, Roger, that call, that guy over there has it. Whoa, whoa, coach, he'll come talk to you. Or, coach, it was a bang-bang play. It was tough. You know, I said, I, I, I think I may have missed the play. But at least communicate with them because a lot of time my partner will go, Roger, what was he complaining to you about? And I go, I have no idea what he's yelling about her. Well, Roger, they're holding my guy in the post. I'll go, Coach, I'll take care of it. I'm not going to take care of it, but I'm just trying to defuse the situation at that time. Or, Coach, I'll talk to you the next time out. Well, by the time the next time out comes, they've had 10 other things happen. They've forgotten about it. Uh, but my experience is don't ignore them. Talk to them. BS them. Is, is what I, is, you know, they're, they're BSing you trying to get you on their side because they want to win. And I try to use some of those tricks on mine. I, I, I say, coach, you're the best coach in the country. You know, you're the best coach in this league. You know, you, I, vote, I told a coach last year, which don't let this get off this. I told a coach, I voted for you for the coach of the year in this league. And, and you're going to act like this. We don't get a vote for coach of the year, but he thought, he thought I did. He's like, Oh, Roger, I'm sorry. I appreciate you voting for me. I said, you deserve it, coach. I hope you win it. That's BS. I didn't, we don't get a vote. But at least he thinks I'm talking to him. So you have to communicate with coaches. Um, and when you're new, I, I would start learning some words to, to talk to coaches. You know, I hear you. You make a good point. You could be right. Tough play. I didn't get a good look at it. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I had a bad angle. Coach, you might be right. You can't use that one a lot. But learning to talk to them off the ledge has been a big, big part of mine. And, and the thing I've dealt with now, you talked about Duke Carolina in the past two years, as you know, Coach K's retired and uh, Roy Williams retired. But I had John Shire when he played. I was always respectful to him. 
when he was assistant coach, as I mentioned earlier, I never yelled at John Shire. I never cussed John Shire. I never told him to shut up and sit down. I only talked to Coach K. Uh, when Hubert Davis was the fourth assistant in North Carolina, I respected him as much as I did Roy Williams. So when he got the job, they're like, man, what do you think, Hubert Davis? I'm like, I have the utmost respect for Hubert. I hope he does for me because I treated him first class when he was the fourth assistant. When John Shire got on Krzyzewski's bench, he was like the 10th assistant. He's way down the bench. He's the one holding the clipboard. But as he worked his way up uh, to sitting beside Coach K, all those years when he'd come out of the huddle, Roger, did you get a good look at that player? Roger, can you watch this? I was like, yes, sir, Coach. Yes, sir, Coach. I'll look at it, Coach. So when he got the job, it was – you know, it, it was kind of a smooth transition. You know, they want to win, uh, but if you have relationships and, and you're not a jerk, now they're jerks at the high levels, I get it, and, and they get games. That doesn't work for me, you know, and, and what, what's worked for me and what I preach and what I try to teach is communication uh, because that's what I know. That's what's worked for me. And, uh, and uh, Paul has heard me say this at camp. All of you on this call last year probably watched some games and you saw – a guy take off down the lane and see the biggest crash you've ever seen. Two bodies hit the floor, no whistle from lead. The coach would get up, start down that baseline and see who it is and go, all right, all right, guys, get back, show your hands. Because he has, he respects him. He has a relationship. He's less likely to go at a guy who he thinks he can talk to, who's a great communicator, who he kind of trusts. Let that same play happen with an official that he hates that the official doesn't know how to communicate, that coach gets up after that play and goes down the side, it's going to be a long night for that ref. So, I mean, I still miss plays. They still yell at me, but nothing like it, you know, if I was a jerk to them. So if you start building your relationships early on with these assistant coaches, one day when they become head coach, you won't be going, man, I got this guy tonight. And I was, I used to throw him out every game when he was assistant. That's, that's not going to work out well for you. They don't forget, they don't forget anything. So, but great question. But, um, yeah, I would put talking to coaches in uh, the great refs know how to talk. The great refs know how to communicate, and, and that's why they become great refs because they can control a game and coaches let them control a game. But I love the question, and um, if I can ever help you with, with communication skills, just reach out to me. I'll be happy to. Roger, anyone ever came up to you at the end of camp requesting a refund? Uh, no, not one. You know, and, and, and if they did, and, and I mean that, it's like, you know what, if, if you feel like you came to my camp and, and you didn't get so I, I don't want you. I had a guy a few weeks ago call me and said, Roger, I sent my money into camp. I've been mowed you the money. I see, I've got you down here, such and such. He goes, well, I just got invited to Brian Kersey's camp and financially I, I can't afford both. I said, check your Venmo. I just sent your money back. Get to that camp. Go, go. Don't, don't worry about my camp. Go. I don't want to. If someone called me tonight and said, Roger, I got invited to such and such camp and I can't go and go, take, here's your money, take it, go. I want you to go. You know, I, I want everyone to be successful. I hope all 75 come to this camp. Uh, we have 27 that have been there before. Uh, it's almost a third that they're coming back for their second or third time. And I want them to come because they learned something. They had a little bit of fun and they left there feeling better. Not as, you know, you've seen, you've been to the camp. You, you know, we learn a lot about appreciating my camp, but I also think you learn a lot about yourself, do a lot of life skills. And, and it's not all about just X's and O's. It's you know about being a good person and being, uh, you know, 
family, a family guy or family girl and, and, and living things the right way and doing things the right way. And uh, it's just a lot more than just, you know, refereeing a basketball game. And I think good people can make it in this world uh, and they can certainly make it in officiating. And sometimes all we ever hear is, well, why did that guy make it or why did she make it or the politic part, which I hate, you know, just let your skills speak for themselves. And if you really want this bad enough and you look in the mirror more and more and say, you know what, I'm going to listen to what he said today. I'm going to do everything possible to be a better ref. And then the next day when you get up tomorrow, Friday, do, do more than you did Thursday and just say, no one's going to hold me back. And if it's sitting at home tomorrow night, like it is here and it's pouring rain, you know, when I get off here, I'll, I'll probably read the rule book for, you know, 45 minutes or so, just something basketball wise to end my day on. So, don't let anybody outwork you. Anyone on this call, no one should outwork you, whether you're 15, 16, or 70. This is really what you want to do. Go be the best ref in your area. Um, someone needs you. The game needs you. Officiating needs you. And uh, obviously, you took the time to be on Crown Refs. And uh, the reason I'm on here is because of my relationship with Paul. And uh, when I invited him to to be on my staff, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't big – for Paul as it was for me. It was like, I know what Paul stands for. I know what he does to the officiating community. And because people ask me all the time, I want to be on your staff. Final four reps, as I said yesterday, one call. I'm like, no, we're good. We're good. I, I want people who not only care deeply about officiating, but really want to make a difference, you know, and, and help people and teach people. And, and that's why I do this stuff for Paul and Crown Refs, because I know what Crown Refs stands for. And I know it's helping officiating tremendously. Uh, I wish a lot of my peers would, would get on crown refs that we would help their game. But, you know, I'm uh, I'm happy to do this. And uh, as I told Paul, anytime I can do to help crown refs and promote it, because I know the difference he's making with you guys on a daily basis almost. So uh, thank you, Paul, once again, for having me and what you do for officiating. It's amazing. Well, thanks for sharing all your wisdom, Roger. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we we got to watch one of your plays. We, we went over some new rules. We, we covered a lot the community got to ask you a couple questions. Is there anything in closing that you would like to leave with the, the community before we go? Uh, yeah, I would just like to say uh, thank each of you for what you do. The fact that you're on this call, you know, it's, it's a Wednesday night in June. How many refs are really doing something like at whatever level, whether it's rec ball or high school, college, NBA, how many are really doing something for their craft tonight? Like you guys are doing, you know, Pat yourself on the back tonight, but tomorrow morning, get up and say, okay, now the work really begins. Now I've, I've kind of gotten a playbook here. I've got the answers to the test. I know what I need to do. Now I've got to do it. I've got to, whether it's start calling a signer saying, I, I want I want to, is there any summer leagues going on or any, any camps going on right now I can get to uh, find a mentor, you know, whatever city you live in. If you don't have someone's helping you reach out to Paul, Paul will get you, get me your information. I want to help you. When this call ends, don't let it end for you. If you need help, reach. I'm here. Reach out, you know, because someone helped me years ago. Several people helped me. Uh, so I want to help you. And my biggest goal one day is hopefully we can get a game uh, together one day. And I'll, I'll say, yeah, I remember that Crown Rush episode. Now look at you're out here throwing up in this game with me. And uh, I'll let them yell at you a little bit that night. But Tomorrow morning, get up and say, all right, I'm going to be the best ref in this area starting right now. And, and go do it. Chase it. Your dream won't chase you back. You chase that dream. This is the point of every other podcast. We would just end it here. But I would like to welcome you 
to Crown Ref's brand new segment to end this podcast. It's called Rapid Round Questions. I have okay. 20 rapid fire questions for you. You ready? You have to, you have to get them all correct in 60 seconds. Let's go. Crown Refs presents the rapid fire round with Roger Ayers. Moose or Joe? Moose. Favorite movie? Uh, a few good men. Instagram or TikTok? Neither. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. A song that you vibe out to before the game? Uh, anything by Elvis. Cardio or weights? Cardio. Morning or nighttime workout? Morning. Favorite arena to work a game? Give us the not so obvious answer. Um, well, it's not a college arena, but it'd be Madison Square Garden. Favorite saying or slogan? Be better. An overtime thriller or a regulation buzzer beater? Overtime thriller. A no call or an N1? No call. That's my boy. Favorite hand signal? Hit. Favorite official to watch? John Higgins. Funniest thing a coach has said to you? Your hair's messed up. Top three basketball players you've refed? Uh, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Tyler Hansbrough. A retired official from another era that you'd like to work a game with? Lenny Wirtz. Funniest thing you've been called by a fan? Pretty boy. <laughs> they weren't lying. Which ref besides yourself has the best sense of humor? Brian O'Connell. Who's the most challenging coach to work with? All of them. Favorite vacation destination? Hawaii. Two more, best young official on the come up. What's that? Who's the best young official in your opinion on the come up? Name a couple. Matt Potter in the Big East and Chance Moore in the Big 12. Final question, a fun fact that no one knows about you. I've never caught a shot clock violation. <laughs> but not touch here. I go right here. He saves his best for last once again, folks. Never totally appreciate it. 25 years. Makes sense. Why would you? Work a game this year, Paul. I might blow it, but I'll tell you, do the signal. I got your back because we can mess this up. It's already messed up. Not an issue. Perfect. I appreciate you, man. I'll see you next week. Okay. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks, pal. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs podcast. Serve the game.